A warm welcome to new listeners and old friends. This is the latest episode of Talking Golf. The work that you try and do with pros, you can lead them down a little path that would say, if you really want to change some particular thing in your swing, the coach can give you a bit of information and help you do it, but you've really got to do it on your own. Supervision is great if you can have access to it, but it boils down to hitting a lot of balls. Welcome to another episode of Talking Golf. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by a guy who plays on tour and coaches on tour, uh, something of an anomaly in the modern game. Probably the last or most recent PGA professional to have gone on to play for a living. Uh, welcome, Robert Rock. Hello. Thank you, Hugh. So we're at the British Masters this week. As I said, you're a little bit of an anomaly in the world of golf in that you both coach and play on a weekly basis. Yeah. Tell me how on earth you've managed to end up in that place and how you manage it aside from anything else. Yeah, it's it's come up it's probably something I wanted to do, but it's come about a little bit unexpectedly. Um obviously I used to be a PGA pro and did plenty of coaching back then and that was my original plan when I turned pro because I wasn't very good. When you grow up in an era of seeing Justin Rose, Luke Donald and Paul Casey all winning the relevant amateur events yeah. and you're nowhere near you think well I can't even beat the fellas that are just down the road from me so <laughs> where does that put me in world golf right you don't realize that they actually were some of the best players in the yeah. world or are going to end up being there yeah so my plan was to do the PGA I had a real interest in golf technique probably from 1989 onwards so sort of Faldo era yeah influenced yeah. by Faldo and, yeah massively and a, probably a a start in golf where I was trying to figure things out myself. I didn't really have lessons because I wasn't in the right setup as far as yeah. your county or yeah. England squad. So yeah. I was left to really the assistant pro at my club and a friend and my, myself really all researching our own little ideal swings trying to find, your answers. Trying to find out what we're, what we're going to so, do yeah so how, how did you go about developing your coaching i'm not going to say system but your sort of methodology what you believe in what you don't believe in when you don't have a coach yourself you you make a lot of mistakes you try and you learn from any particular avenue you can whether it at the start it was magazines and watching golf on yep. tv was yep. video lessons were very very rare i can remember my very first one was on one of those massive probably betamax camcorders plugged into a yeah i can remember portable tv in the back of the shop remember exactly the same ian ray was the first guy who who coaches richie ramsey out here now he was the first guy to introduce me to video and i couldn't see you watch it at full speed on those sort of things and that's quite nice to see yourself hit a ball for the first time ever but slowing the things down was it Terrible was, quality. Yeah, yeah, it was non-existent, wasn't yeah. it? So you, so you're relying on watching swings in full speed, and I think I made, I probably only had one lesson like that. So who did, who did you read? Who were the sort of influences that you? Th- I like Nick Faldo's golf swing, of course, because yeah. he was so good. I like that style of playing where, but it wasn't powerful. It was just precise and yeah, proper precision. That golf. seemed quite smart. Um, All about ball control. Yeah counter to everything that we're seeing these days. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and if you'd go back, if you knew what the game would end up like, you probably wouldn't do that. But that was the type of golf that I liked and that was the type of golf that made me interested in golf and actually want to be yeah. better at golf. So that captured my interest and made me want to be a single-figure handicap golfer. Yeah. And, and then when you start looking at 
Nick Faldo and David Ledbetter, then you probably you get led down other paths because you, you see other people yep. that are playing and coaching. And, and then my next favourite golfer, I think, was Ben Crenshaw. Yeah. And I was a massive fan of Ben Crenshaw. I'm not sure why that happened because I'd, I wouldn't see him play because you didn't have Sky Sports or PGA no, no. Tour golf yeah. to you watch. Saw, you saw him at Augusta once a year. Yeah, so I think I think that was it. I think it was probably from when he, he featured in some of those Masters that Faldo won. Yeah. And I just liked the way he seemed to play. I loved the way that he putted thought that was just really interesting that he was regarded as a specialist at putting and he always seemed to hold pretty cool putts at, at the masters yep. he, on the on the back nine so because of him and following him through golf weekly back then right? <laughs> yeah. i used to go to the go to the shop every monday get my golf weekly and find out how he'd done in a pga tour event right and then yep. because of ben crenshaw's relationship with harvey Penick, you then start reading all yep. those books and then harvey Penick's books were so good that you that he mentioned all other players in in his books. Um, that you then think, oh, who's that fellow? I'll go and have a look at what he does. Um, and that probably broadened my coaching experience. So then you start looking at Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson and just various other people that, that would have been meant Sneed, yeah. yeah. And then when you start reading their books, then you they start mentioning other yeah. players and you start thinking, well, I didn't know he was that good as well. So I'll, I'll look into him and all of a sudden you've got a nice golf library at home full of old books and you've seen loads of different ways to play the game that were different to the very first Nick Faldo sort of yeah. model that I'd started on um, and a few years down the line I start my PGA training and, and then you start actually doing golf lessons and I think Harvey Penick's books were really good for coaching they just managed to Master make a communicator yeah it made a complicated thing just seem very very simple in some little terms that you could give to your average golfer that yeah. might capture it and actually make a difference and how, how much of your coaching at that stage where you're working with i guess leisure players more yeah, than yeah, yeah, more than, yeah. than better players if you like how much of that experience helped prepare you for coaching at a higher and higher and higher level i think that was it was really good because you're experimenting in how you deliver your information to amateur golfers that aren't so educated in in the game and you want to stumble across something that really hits home with them and makes an impact in half an hour yeah which is it's really hard to do when you first start because i remember my first few lessons would i feel like i hadn't done anything i hadn't helped the guy for half an hour so i'd stay there for a bit longer yeah and the dollars overrun yeah Yeah. and you had to because you you were taking money off the guy at the end and you hadn't done anything he might still be slicing it or he might still be shanking it or topping it and you think well I've got to get better at this right because yeah. my timekeeping's shocking <laughs> <laughs> one lesson's going to be a whole whole afternoon and the more you practice that I think the more you you run through your ideas quicker and you think well he's not that's not working that's not yeah. working I still think I'm right in what I want to do but the way I'm delivering it isn't working so I've got to go through all my little systems that I've tried in all my previous lessons that have took an hour now I'm going to try and condense that quicker and see if I can make an impact to the guy early on and really I think the bit for a half hour lesson at the time you want to make an impact in the first 10 or 15 minutes so that he he's surprised and he gets to enjoy actually eating balls for a bit yeah and I, I can't remember how long that took me but it I think it took me years yeah you need to be teaching all day don't you to, yeah, to, to perfect that and I probably wouldn't have perfected it but I'd have got better at it and and then you need to find the same sort of things for chipping and yeah. and putting and bunker shots especially. So I think then realising that 
one set of sentences doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. And it's the same with pros. Yeah, massively. Mm. It's interesting because I, I, I see a lot of younger guys now who are very, very, very qualified, who almost seem reluctant to do the hard yards working with the less good players mm. and want to walk straight into coaching at a much higher yeah, level. No, that's your education as a golf yeah, pro, isn't it? It has to, to be, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you're doing trial and error with golf pros and they're not going to suffer that. No. The bullshit filter that you see with these guys is pretty well developed. Yeah. They, can, <laughs> yeah. they can find you out pretty yeah, quickly. They, they are. They are very, very good and very ruthless and you need to have answers. And, and I think, I mean, one of the great things about working at this level is that you know pretty quick if what you're asking them to do isn't going to work. Whereas if you've got a less gifted player, you probably give yourself a little bit more time to try and make it work. Yeah. Whereas at this level, you figure out that probably changing tack pretty quick is a decent plan. Yeah, yeah, because as you experience working with pros, I mean, for me, I started working with young golfers that wanted yep. to be pros yep. uh, or very entry-level pros, whether it be other assistant pros or mini-tour players. And they're striving to get somewhere and you've got more room to manoeuvre with those and have a plan in place that might take a few months or Yeah, or even years. Or even years, yeah. But when you're here on the European tour, you guys are already good. They haven't got time to waste. No. You've got 28 to 30 events a year to make a difference. You're trying to make some improvements on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in order that they can actually perform on a Thursday. So you've got to be quick. Yeah. I've been reading some stuff recently, I mean, all this nonsense that you read in social media, which I find difficult to process sometimes. A very good coach recently said that um, coaching tour players and coaching club players isn't any different, which blew my mind out. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. No, that's, they couldn't be further apart no. in my mind. The reality is that you're under pressure to give that player something additional that will help them perform that week and if you're not doing that on a regular basis then the chances are you're probably not having the influence you need on that player so talk about your own game because i think one of the things that i've always admired about you is that you've the fact that you are largely self-taught and i think without blowing sunshine up your backside i think you've got one of the more classic golf swings on tour certainly a swing that a lot of people would aspire to for me i think one of the great things that a player can do is own his technique and owning your technique will probably come from spending more time on your own than it, and going through a problem-solving exercise than it will trying to adhere to some outside influence and their methods and beliefs. So were you always a gifted swinger? Or no, were, were no, you no. just, it's always been, this is where I'm at, this is where I want to get to. What was the process that you went through to, to get there? Well, I think if, you, if I went back to that very first video golf lesson that I had, I remember... I was only, let's say I was 12 or 13, might have been a little bit older. And all the members at the club used to say, oh, you, you've got a nice swing, Robert, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's your 20 handicapper or so thinking that you've got a good swing. And it might have looked all right, right? I, but I was only about four foot tall. And it's hard to make a swing look bad from, from that high off the ground, isn't it? So uh, When you get to my height, it starts looking really ugly. Yeah, and then that first video lesson, my pro Adam... He zoomed in on my, my head, which wasn't as big as it is now. Right? <laughs> That's, it's all here. But he, it filled this little portable screen, and he says, watch this. So I'm like, okay, brilliant. What's he going to show me, right? My head's going to stay perfectly still, isn't it? Just <laughs> got a great swing. Everyone's told me I've got a great swing. My head disappeared out of the TV. I've gone, what's happened, mate? 
Do you move the camera too? He's gone, no, mate, no, you, your head is dropping about a foot as you hit the ball. And I was like, oh, my God. And that just blew me away. I thought my swing was nice, and I thought, that is proper bad. So that was the first indication of what you feel and what is actually there, right? And I never had any clue that I was doing that, so I thought, right, well, here we go. I'm not gonna, I thought, how the hell am I going to fix that? Because I can't even feel it. So that was my, probably one of my first real challenges as, a, as somebody looking at a, at a swing. I didn't have a video to, to help me fix this. And I probably my next video lesson might, because he borrowed this camera, so my next video lesson could be in a year's time, right? So what do you do? <laughs> but you found a way. But I found a way, yeah. And that particular fault stuck with me for a long while. And I went through a spell when I was about 17 or 18 of just hitting the ball as hard as I could off the tee. I, for some reason, I... By design? or Yeah, it was intentional. And was, was that driven by playing against guys that hit it miles further than you, or...? A little bit when I was growing up, yeah, went playing junior competitions. I remember playing with a couple of lads that were sort of adult-sized yeah. lads, and I was little. Yeah. I was hitting it 200 and, oh, let's forget how, let's say 220 yards yeah. or something off the tee, and they were hitting it a long, long way past me. And I thought, oh, well, i got no chance. I've got to start hitting it harder. Wasn't smart enough at the time to think, well, maybe I will grow a little bit and I'll get a little yeah. bit taller, and I didn't need to rush the situation but I did so I started smashing it as hard as I could massive overswing probably a little bit inspired by John Daly at the yep. time right so overswing hit it as hard as I could I actually became quite a good driver hitting it as hard as I could which sent my swing totally down a different path yeah and then I think I realized that that maybe wasn't overly smart because I just became good at driving and I yep. couldn't really hit the rest of it and I, but I was playing a shortish course so I could drive some greens but it was potentially masking the fact that yeah. while it worked off the tee it wouldn't have worked on a much yeah it didn't work anywhere else and then when I started playing more tournaments away from home I started yeah. to think well I've got to be a bit more rounded and my iron play was never very good and I think when I when we started being able to video ourselves a little bit easier I started to look more closely at my swing and trying yeah. to find reasons for I could feel something in my swing, and at one point, playing early PGA golf, I had a, I was still hitting it quite long off the tee, but I had one particular drive that would, as soon as I started my downswing, I knew the ball was going a million miles to the right, and I would catch it flush out the middle, but it would take off at probably 30 or 40 degrees to the right. I mean, it was a lost ball every time, yeah. and it used to, it used to really annoy me that I couldn't feel it, and I couldn't, I didn't know what was going on. And it would come at any random point yeah, in the round. Predict it. Couldn't predict it, and I would. And I wanted to miss the ball when I had that feeling because I knew that two would be better. <laughs> <laughs> two would be better than three. Yeah, but I didn't perfect that. So, you re I really had to search for something that might got rid of that shot. I went for a few lessons here and there, didn't find a solution. So I thought, right, this is this is on me now. I've got I've got to work this out. And bought myself a proper video camera and started chipping away at it. And there was something significant in my swing that I didn't like and that I also felt was affecting how I hit my irons. And then I started a process of trying to work out what I was going to do. One of the things that strikes me listening to you is that, and I think this is probably, my interpretation of this would be that this is your inbuilt talent, that you were from a very young age incredibly self-aware about what you needed to do to get better. Yeah, I think so. Looking, I didn't really pay any attention to that at the time, but I, th I thought I was on my own. Which then 
at a very young age led you down the path of, right, I need to own this now. Yeah, yeah. This has to be mine. Yeah. And I, I see this with a lot of youngsters now that the first, that, like 12-year-olds have to have a coach. I don't think I had a golf lesson until I played off single figures. No, I, mean, no, I, was, I was lucky to get little bits of help from the yeah. pros, but I couldn't afford to have lessons, yeah. right? My mum and dad were good enough to take me to the golf course and make me a member of a, a club and to buy me a set of clubs, yeah. right? But they weren't well off, so to ask to have a lesson every week was ridiculous, yeah. right? So, And I, with, with some certainty, I'd state that if you had gone down that road, you probably wouldn't be sat here now. No, I would, I would say for certain that I would probably still be relying on somebody to fix one of these problems that was in my swing and it would still be there. How much do you see of the guys on the range to the left of us? Do you see guys who still don't own what they do? Most. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Most. The work that you try and do with pros, you can lead them down a little path that would say, this is what you really, if you really want to change some sort of particular thing in your swing, right, the coach can give you a bit of information and help you do it, but you've really got to do it on your own, right? You've got to go and work. Supervision is great if you can have access to it, but it boils down to hitting a lot of balls and a lot of repetition and a lot of pretty crap, painful practice. Yeah, but going through your own feedback mechanism all the time. Yeah, yeah. Now, I had to do that because I wasn't good enough. Right, but now you've got some lads here but that you are really had, good. But you had a characteristic that was good enough, yeah, that self-awareness that, that drove yeah. you to, and there must have been some motivation and determination, some drive behind it for you to continually go through that process. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's plenty of moments where I thought, I've just not got this, right? I wanted a swing that felt like a swing. Like when I watched somebody, just some smooth-looking swingers of the time, let's say Ernie Els or yeah. Davis Love or Payne Stewart or... Or Seve, just something that looked like a, a swing, yeah. right? Rather than a, a lunge and a hit and a save, <laughs> right? Did what you feel in your golf swing, was that actually happening when you looked at it on? Yeah, it didn't feel, there's something in there that didn't feel like I was freely moving on the way down. It felt blocked off and, and awkward. That I would always be doing something at, on the way down to try and hit a decent shot rather than just taking a nice swing at it yeah. and, and feeling like it was easy. Plenty of speed and freedom in the impact and yeah, let the ball do what it wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, I didn't have that. Yep. I didn't have that. So I wanted that because I thought it looks nice and it looks easier. Yeah, much less stressful. Mm. How, uh, how long did it take you to get to that point? I reckon I got there in the middle of 2007. Wow. And when was, the, when was your first year on tour? 2003. Wow. I got to be quite good as an, a regional pro, but purely by practicing the shots that I needed to hit in those events, which was, I was still a decent drive of the ball. I felt like... More emphasis on accuracy than distance. Yeah, if I would, I'd be hitting it, let's say, 280, 290 in the fairway would team me up with a lot of medium to short irons and a lot of pitches some short par fours I'd, I used to face the 50 yard pitch shot which I hated I used to face that a lot around our regional courses so I thought well my driving's good if I can play a 50 yard pitch and I can actually put from 6 foot I reckon I could chisel my way around to 4 or 500 most places yep. pick up a decent three right. or 400 quid check um, just repeat that a couple keep, of times a week just keep doing that yeah make some money just bought a house with the missus and these 4 or 500 quids are going to come in handy yep. whilst I'm teaching yeah didn't have loads of time spare to go and play lots of golf. So it was in between lessons, was yeah. practicing 50 yarders, 
practice my short putting, keep smashing drivers out the back of the range, and yep. and that lasted me until I got accidentally got my card on the on the tour. Through. And did you, was that through tour school or through challenge? Tour? No, it was through regional invites as a PGA okay. pro, wow. which I, I believe I'm the last one to do that. So I played my way to the top of the Midlands region. They gave me an invite to Benson Hedges at the Belfry. Yep. Then, because I won the region, I, there wasn't the playoff system then, so I got to Wentworth. Yep. Uh, actually, the previous year, I got into two in the Midlands, which I played and missed both cuts. But I only missed my first one was at the Belfry. And I did quite a bit of homework on, on the Belfry, and I played it quite a bit. And I remember facing my, my last hole, which was the ninth hole, I needed to par it to make the cut. Yep. And I hit the fairway. I thought I'd done the job, but I faced a shot that... I actually wasn't very good at, which was a pretty much a standard pitching wedge. I plugged it in the face of a bunker and took six, right? So I thought, damn it, that was that was close. Yeah. I was close to making some money on the European tour, and I didn't think I was anywhere near that sort of standard. So for the next six months, I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win the region next. I'm going to get that invite to Wentworth, and I'm going to have another go. Yeah. And I'm going to prepare better and... Luckily, it went to plan. I come 23rd at the Belfry. I led the PGA, it went with for a brief moment and completely shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then come forth at the Forest of Arden and got my card, right, from literally teaching in between. Couldn't believe my luck, really. And how d- did you feel that you had the game to compete going back that second year after those two missed cuts? Did you feel that you were, you were going to be able to compete? I felt like I was a lot better and I felt like I had some really good parts of my game especially my driving I, I drove it brilliantly for two months really and that's why I got my card but that was all I had and then because I got enough money on the board to suggest I might get some invites I remember taking a spot in Sweden yeah didn't know how to play that course miscut then another one with Switzerland yeah right now from playing the Midlands to go and play in Crans Versier right? yeah slightly different no Get wedge game, right? Yep. <laughs> that, that, that was never going to end well, so miscut there. And then I found myself, I was right on the cusp of yep. actually getting my card. I was around the one, what was the number back then? One, I don't know, 120 one, or 125? Might have been 125, yep. right? And I was just drifting all the way down because yep. I wasn't getting in any more events. I think I'd milked my invitations. And my last chance was to get an invite to a challenge tour in Wales. Yeah. And if I top 10 that, I would get the following week, which was a co-sanctioned in, it might have been Russia. I think it was Russia. Yeah, yeah, right? that makes sense. So I lost in the playoff to, oh, I don't know, it was me, Rob Coles, and another guy who won it. But that got me into Russia. Yeah. And I come ninth in Russia, which gave me and an extra, enough. I think it was another 9,000 euros, and I finished last but one man. And then I got two, all of 2004, playing all on the European Tour, playing all over the world and I just played rubbish every single week because I didn't know what I was doing. And was your golf game worse or was it because you were less prepared, didn't know courses? Didn't know courses, didn't know really how, looking back, didn't know how to prepare for a four-round tournament. Never really mastered the four-round event thing because my beginnings of of a PGA Pro was just one round, play and move on. Then you play two-round events, three-round events. Yeah, the four-round is really a skill that it is hard to play a four-round tournament. But that was the problem. I didn't know how to do it. So I played 30 events, 
missed my card by, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 grand. But, I mean, I grafted so hard yeah. that year. My best finish was 20th, right, okay. <laughs> for, for 30 events. <laughs> and it was torture. The amount of cuts I made on the mark or missed by one. And that made me, th- I had a few years like that, and I thought, maybe this isn't for me, you know, because that's not much fun. And then you go back to tour school, get your card. I went back to tour school, got my card. Well, actually, no, I think I failed. The end of 2004, I failed. Played a f- couple of events in 2005, and that was where I really, really started the hard work. Because yeah. I thought, I'm just not good enough. And then 2005, 2006, I got my card at the end of 2005 at the school. Played good 2006-ish, I think. But then 2007 and eight, I really started to play better. Yeah. In 2008, I was on limited starts, I think, but I played well every single time I played and got my full card back in 2009, and then I started to play good. Yeah, and you've been out ever since? Ever since. I mean, I've always always had some sort of status, thankfully, so yeah. I didn't have to really go back to square one. I always had some starts to keep me keep me going, uh, and that was lucky, really. And during this time, had you given up teaching privately? You'd, you'd given up? Yeah, it was taking all of my time trying to practice. I mean, I, I did practice a, a lot. And when did you get back to sort of doing more... I think once I felt like I was, I was a European tour player, and I actually belonged in in the thick of it, and yeah. I was and I was decent, and I was threatening to win tournaments. But I'd, I actually started my academy idea in 2012 after I won in Abu Dhabi and yeah. had that amazing experience playing with Tiger. Um, I thought I've been so lucky here. Right? I'm a PGA pro that's just battled his way yeah. through, and I actually get to play in the final group with Tiger Woods. I mean, that just doesn't happen, does it? I mean. And be- yeah, I mean, I mean, you look back. I look back at that, and that that isn't the thing for me. It's the fact that I was yeah, you were there in the first him. place. Yeah. I got to play with him and watch him play a final round, which I never thought would happen because you, I watched him win the Masters, I watched him win majors in the pro shop. Yeah, right. Just looking up with yeah, the Mars bars next to me. Back in '97, thinking that's never happening. Right. I mean, how good's this fella? And I don't think it's ever going to happen again. I don't think we'll see someone work their way through the PJ ranks and end up effectively at, if not the very top of the game, the game, certainly very close to it. Yeah, a lot of things went my way. I did work really hard, but I'd be surprised if it did. Yeah. I'd be the first, first fella to shake the guy's hand if he did, but it's a tough road from the shop to the oh, tour. Maybe it's doable. Right? You've got to really take every opportunity that comes your way. The opportunities become more limited every year. Yeah, they year. are. Yeah, they're knocking them back, and, yeah. and that's fair enough. But PGA pros have got one or two opportunities to do it. You would literally need to play amazing at Wentworth for a year. Yeah. So, question then. If you hadn't, say, you're 20 years younger and now you're going through the sort of more, or what we see typically as as a development route where you play for your country, maybe go to college in the States, then go to development tours or mini tours and play your way on to main tour. Do you think the process that you went through would have happened quicker going on that route? Maybe a better route for me would have been to not get my card that first year and to have just missed out and then to have had to play the next year on Challenge Tour and learn to play four-round tournaments and learn to play and travel. Because my confidence took a massive battering. I got my card in a unique way and I I was amongst a pretty special group of people to have done that right and I wasn't that good <laughs> right? I wasn't as good as those fellas that had done it I mean, if I'd have gone on to challenge tour and then worked out what to do I think I would have kept a little bit more confidence in myself yeah and it was hard to rebuild that and as a young man you don't 
you don't go into professional golf or playing tour level golf seeing the bad stuff. You expect it to be a sort of lavish lifestyle, uh, everything's done for you, and the reality of it, it's not. I mean, it's, it's so much of, I think, achieving at this level, particularly for youngsters, is understanding that traveling so difficult, so hard on your body. Different types of golf courses, dramatically different types of golf courses. So you've gone from Dunhill last week to Walton Heath this week to Valderrama next yeah. week to China the week after. It's a fundamentally different set of challenges every time yeah, you tee it up. Yeah, and you've got you need to be aware of that. And I think I'm only I've only recently started to accept the different challenges and to not let it bother me. And the first few years, I just thought, even though I was going from China to South Africa to Malaysia or anywhere with totally different greens, and putting was a big problem for me. I can remember just spending hours and hours on the putting greens and just not getting any better. Yeah. And not knowing how to get better. Yeah, and I haven't, I haven't put it on these greens before, but I'm expecting to be ma- amazing on them, right? I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Um, and to not let that really knock your confidence as a golfer. And for a lot of my early years, I can remember being in the midpoint of the year when I'm coming back to the UK to play, torturing myself on a putting green because I've just put it bad in South Africa or something. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I've never but, seen greens like it. No, instead of now... I. I sometimes don't play those events, but just thinking that isn't my type of green. I'm back at home. I'm a bit more comfortable here. I actually know how to read these better. Yeah. Now I've got chance if my confidence has been a bit protected to actually play well. But I never gave myself that break. Right? I didn't have anyone around me that that knew that either. So we're both we're all grafting for the same thing. But I was wasting my time. Yeah, and there's so few people that are that aware of what's going on around them. And no, at the and time, you probably weren't aware. No. Just, you look, it's only now 10, 15 years later, you look back and think, and I think that's cow. something now I can, I'm happy that I've experienced that and worked that out for myself and, and not turned into a complete fruitcake and drove myself away from the game. You're probably one of the more normal ones out here. I would like to think so. Yeah, I'd probably. I'd like to think so, but you never know. I have my moments. Robert, I know you've got to warm up. Yeah, time to play. Yeah, thank you, you very much. I think... I think the listeners will really enjoy hearing this story that it is different to your average mm. your average route here. And the testament to, I think, for me, the two things I would take from this to encourage youngsters to explore is the number one, become self-sufficient. Yeah. Own what you do on a day-to-day basis. But number two, and I didn't really know this about you, I mean, we've, we've known each other for years, but not really known each other, mm. that... The resilience that you've displayed over the course of your 20-year career, maybe longer now, yeah. is quite remarkable. Yeah, that's something I'm probably actually proud of. That I had many moments where I thought I wasn't good enough, but yeah. I thought, I think I can find the answer somehow. Right? And I knew I could with the swing problems I had. I thought, that's, that's only a matter of time before I work this out. But the putting battles are just torturous sometimes because yeah. you really think... Even though I hadn't got the yips as far as the strokes was concerned, mentally, I was really, really struggling. And 15 years down the line, do you think that a bad putter can turn into a decent putter, right? And I would have said, no, not after all that, no chance. But in the last few seasons, I actually started to rate myself a little bit. (laughs) Right, and that that is remarkable. I just didn't think that would happen. I just thought I'm going to have to prolong my career by making my ball striking reliable, make sure I'm smart on the course, have a good caddy, make sure my short game is good enough and accept that I'm just not going to make any putts and see what I can do. Find shots elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and now I've actually turned into a decent putter, so 
I would say that's that's hope for anyone that's battled with any part of the game that it is it is doable. But you've got to be looking at it yourself and keep some sort of faith in your own skill yeah. that you might. Again, that's boils down to the resilience. Yeah, you've got to be tough in this game because unless you've got a team around you that are going to protect you all the way, which you're not going to probably have. And isn't that much use when you're stood in the middle of the 18th fairway? No, exactly. And those moments, I think, when I when I look back at all those cuts that I missed or made by the cuts that I made by one, really made me a tougher golfer. Right when you've got a, when you've got a par the last or birdie the last, and you've no idea where the tee shot's going to go. You're not sure you're going to strike the second shot and you don't know whether you can get it in the hole from six foot, but you find a way of making a four. <laughs> that makes you think, well, if I can do that when nothing feels great, then when I'm playing well, surely it's going to be a bit easier. Well, <laughs> as I said, I think it's a quite inspirational story. It's a great advert for the game of golf that over a, well, it's been a pretty long career now. Yeah, it's, you're it's, still, you're I'm still dragging it out. Yeah, you're still, still yeah, you've, I think there's a couple more years in it. <laughs> uh, hopefully your, uh, your newfound putting skills will stand in good stead this week. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. Pleasure, have a, mate. Have a great week. Anytime. We'll catch up soon. All right. Thank you, mate.